We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Excellent. Um, Advent is a great time of year. Christmas is a great time of year. Advent means waiting. And um, it is fascinating that every time uh, couples share about the themes of Christmas, uh, peace and joy and faith and hope, that um, they, um, they feel most unqualified. Um, and I think that that's what the Lord does with all of us, that, uh, that he, takes, he takes these themes and he takes them from out of the clouds and uh, makes them real and practical in our lives. And so this Christmas season, if you're lacking joy or needing like faith or uh, feeling hopeless or, or any, anything like that, um, you're in good company because that is the normative Christian experience that we struggle with these things. And that's why we look to the Lord um, uh, for our answers together. So I just want to uh, thank the Moore family where you're sitting. There you are. And uh, thanks for being just genuine and real. Um, well, let's begin our time together in God's Word, shall we? All the kids are dismissed. It looks like we're ready to go. We've got a few guests here. just want to welcome you. My name is Mike Newman, and uh, I have the privilege of pastoring this church and uh, uh, giving you God's Word this morning. I love Christmas. Um, I especially... Just love love this season. I love um, I love eggnog. If you want to know anything about me, right off the bat, anyone anyone out there, mm-hmm. just dropping it a little bit in your coffee is just mm, it's just the best. We love putting up our tree. We love uh, we love you know getting the kids in the car and you know going around and seeing all the different lights. Um, we love baking Christmas cookies. I actually learned uh, a few things about baking this week. Um, did you know, this is, this is from your pastor, little tips about it. Did you know that um, when it, a recipe calls for eggs, they mean it? Did you know that? Yes. And the timing that which you add the eggs is important. Did you know that um, when a recipe says we want everything room temperature, that that is also important? I know there's a couple of shake. I didn't know that. So um, frozen butter sticks don't make for great uh, sugar cookies. Um, did you know that like you're supposed to, when it says like 36 cookies this is going to produce, did you know that if you don't spread them all out, you can actually just make 12? <laughs> and, and they come out more like biscuits than cookies. And, uh, and that's what I learned this week. And so if you, uh, you, you want to come on by, we only have 12 cookies they're eggnog cookies, but if you're interested, Lucy and I cook them. They still need some frosting, though, don't they, Lucy? Um, yeah, so just a few tips. Um, this, this Christmas this Christmas is going to be my 43rd Christmas of celebrating um, our Lord. And each year, each year I learn a little bit more about what it means to celebrate Christ at Christmas. 
um, I often hear the phrase um, um, that I'm, I'm, I'm looking for and wanting to experience the spirit of Christmas. I'm not yet in the spirit of Christmas. I don't have it yet. Have you ever heard that? Any of that language common to you? Um, people are, are waiting for this perfect moment, me sometimes included, um, where maybe they hear their favorite song or, or they're, they're waiting for that perfect tradition where they can feel the spirit of Christmas. Maybe it's watching their favorite movie, um, but uh, there's this general sense that when they experience these warm fuzzies of Christmas, then they're in, in the spirit of Christmas. Uh, we watched a movie this past week, um, and the plot line is called Christmas with the Cranks. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one, um, but the plot line um, is is funny in nature. It's it's this couple that that just is is experiencing this empty nest idea, and so their only daughter goes off to Peru, and they say, "How about we just cancel Christmas? Right? Let's just skip it altogether, and let's go on a cruise." And so they um, they they decide as a couple it's, what that means. And this is kind of a funny scene in the movie. That means total boycott of Christmas. No Christmas cards, no Christmas cookies. He writes a letter to all his office, you know, uh, people that he works with and says, I'm not celebrating Christmas. I'm not getting you presents. I'm not receiving presents. Total boycott, right? I'm not going to put Frosty on the roof. I'm not doing Christmas lights. The Boy Scouts come to try to sell him a tree. He breaks their heart and says, we're skipping Christmas, (laughs) right? But the premise, friends, is built on similar to what Anna shared. The premise is built on that Christmas means all of these extra things that you got to do. And if you stack them up one on top of each other, then you'll get in the spirit of Christmas. Then you'll like, you'll be joyful and you'll, and, and you'll discover within yourself the true meaning of Christmas. Now, I don't want to like totally give away the movie, but like the, the plot line continues. The girl call, calls home. She's like, I'm actually coming home. And they race and they do everything and they get all the ham and they get all the neighbors and they get everything. And then you see this, this main character sitting out in the, in, the, um, in the street looking through the window and he discovers the spirit of Christmas and, and, and it kind of ends in a way that's like, oh, isn't that nice? But Hannah and I were like, processing it afterwards, saying that this is the antithesis of what we want to be like. To feel this guilt around the holidays that we have to, and you fill in the blank, uh, we have to do this. We, we have to do these Christmas cards and we have to sign these letters and we have to do, and, and, and if we don't, then we're not doing Christmas good. Does anyone feel that pressure or anyone experience that? And we kind of have this mentality of if we don't do all the traditions, I'm not bashing traditions. I think they can actually facilitate good things. But if, if we get lost in the traditions and we lose the meaning, then we lose Christ altogether. And so this morning, this morning, what I want to do and what I've been just praying through is that I want to preach a sermon in such a way that gives you the understanding of the meaning of Christmas, namely Christ. I want to put him at the center of our time this morning, 
And I want him to be at the center of our lives this month. This morning, we're going to look at the virgin birth and the importance of it. Uh, This sermon, this time together will be uh, doctrinal in nature. But I pray that as a result, it will be your worship. And so the title of this morning is called The Christmas Miracle. The Christmas Miracle. And um, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been in the Ten Commandments. um, And we're dipping our toes a little bit into the Apostles' Creed and a little bit into the Lord's Prayer so that we grow in the area of prayer. And so I'd like to start out with the Apostles' Creed. And if you would... um, I'd like you to join with me in reading the whole thing, and then we're going to walk through just a few lines that deal particularly with Christ and his incarnation. Um, Creeds have been a great part of the Christian faith. Uh, They summarize the Christian faith, and they've been doing it for the last 20 centuries, and so it's a really good thing to read and dwell on these together. Um, So would you start with me? It starts with, I believe in God. Ready? All together now. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He descended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. Excellent. So, hey, we're just going to look at the, at the part that specifically deals with Christ. And we're going to study this, and we believe this not just because the creed says it, because we find it in the Bible, okay? So let's just look at the first part that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, okay? All right, so Jesus, whom you know, um, is our Lord and Savior. Uh, He was given that name at birth. Uh, The angel told Mary and an angel told Joseph that the name that you shall call him is Jesus. And he will save uh, his people from their sins. Um, Then it says, I believe in Jesus, and it says Christ. And uh, Christ actually is not his last name, Uh, It's a name of position. It's a title that he is given. I believe in Jesus Christ. Christ, uh, it means Messiah. So Jesus, the Messiah, is the one that the Old Testament was waiting for. The people of God waiting for a man to come to save save them from their sins. He was the long-awaited one. And the one that we also believe in uh, and look back to believe him, but also the one that we look forward to and wait his return. So I believe in Jesus Christ. It goes on to say his only son, right? Uh, when this creed was written, the early church struggled with, um, with others who said, Ah, Jesus If it says that God, uh, that he's his only son, Jesus is God's only son, that must mean that Jesus had a beginning. Because I have sons, I have daughters, they had a beginning. And so that's, that's, that's equal to that. And if he's, if he has a beginning, that like, that, that cancels all of scripture that says that he was a part of creation, that he was, you know, manifesting himself in the Old Testament, all things like that. 
And when the, the Apostles' Creed says that Jesus Christ is God's own Son, we mean something different. We mean that He is of the same essence of the Father, that He comes from the Father. Another way to say it, other creeds will say that He is God of very God, light from light, very God of very God. He's the Holy One. He is complete deity in and of Himself. So when, he, when we say that He is the Son, we're saying that He is God. So we're just walking through this word by word, and we're seeing another title in the Apostles' Creed that calls Him Lord. This means that our Son, who is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is our Master and our Ruler. He's the Creator and He's the Lord of all. If you give your life to Him, you submit to Him and He becomes ruler of your life. Now look at the, this next part carefully. This is the part that I really want to focus on um, that deals specifically with His incarnation, uh, which is what Christians, uh, the big word that we use when Christians talk about Christmas, when Jesus came, God manifested in the flesh. It says, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Many of us um, might, might hear that and go, you know what? Um, if someone said that's not that big of a deal in the Christian life, that wouldn't really rattle me too much. Um, I still love Jesus and it's, it's fine. Hey, as long as you just like, um, keep loving them and reading the scriptures and things like that. It's, it's fine. But I find it very fascinating that the Apostles' Creed, the early church, one of the very first and foundational things that they say about Jesus, when we say, who is this Jesus guy? One of the first things that they lead with is that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and he was born of the Virgin Mary. Flags that they plant in the ground that say this is absolutely vital to our faith. Let's look at what that means. It's not saying just that Mary would have to be a virgin. It's also saying that God would have to conceive God. It's saying that Jesus was conceived not from man, but from God. One theologian writes, Christ in Christ, two natures. That would be, He's fully God, He's from God, and He's fully man. He's from the womb of a woman. And, and those two natures met to be your cure. It's saying that the Holy Spirit would have to conceive of a child in a human womb that we know has never been with another man in order to provide a pure and spotless lamb. That's what this creed is saying. Uh, but again, if it's just a creed and it just lives out there, then we don't honestly really care. But if it confirms and affirms the Bible, then we're interested in it. So let's see in the Scriptures if God deems it important that, that His Son Jesus be born of a Virgin Mary, shall we? Let's take a look. In Isaiah 7, 14. I'm going to give you three passages of Scripture. Three verses. If you got your copy of God's Word, go ahead and look it up so you can get used to looking for verses. 
Um, but we also have it on the screen for you. This is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. We're asking the question, does this Bible speak of the virgin birth? This is God's word. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. So flip on over to the right. Matthew confirms this prophecy in Isaiah. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23 reads like this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew adds, which means God with us. One more verse. Go ahead and go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 34. Luke recorded something of significance when the angel came to Mary and said, hey, you're going to give birth to a son. The Holy Spirit will conceive a child in your womb. Her question is, is found in verse chapter 1, verse 34. And, it, and she asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? All right, now listen up. Upperclassmen, juniors and seniors in high school, okay? There's a few of you in here. Um, so come like next year, if you're a senior, and you're off to your different colleges. Uh, finals week comes around December, and you've got a professor. And um, without a shadow of a doubt, if you're going to a secular school, um, professors' agendas, for the most part, are to shame Christians and make them feel dumb, stupid, and feel like they have never thought about the scriptures in a critical, intelligent way. And they're basically out to say, um, your whole childhood, if you've been following Jesus, you've just read the scriptures in a sentimental way. But I am here to tell you something different. And he might go like this. He might go to the book of Isaiah and tell you that the word used um, when you read it in the English, it says virgin, but when you read it in the Hebrew, it just says young woman. And this professor is right. He's going to say it in a casual way, maybe in a mocking way, but he's actually right that in Isaiah it says, um, the, the literal word is young woman. Hebrew Alma, not the technical word for virgin, virgin, which is Bethula. And um, when he says that, maybe, maybe it'll come out like, oh, it's not a big deal, right? Or maybe like he'll, he'll say in this case, um, hey, you know what? Um, this prophecy, it's a little bit vague, vague here, and so, um, but, but just don't worry about it. And then you could walk out and and think, well, if, if Isaiah's prophecy is vague, well, then Matthew's writing and saying that, that, that this prophecy was fulfilled. Well, he was wrong. And then you can read Mary's question, how can this be since I'm a, a virgin? Not as historical fact, but you read it as, well, maybe she was. this was a cover-up. And his, his, his teaching of one particular word might not rattle you at first because, again, you walk away and go, ah, it's not a big deal. It's just like one class, just one word. But if I just love Jesus with my life, then I'll be okay. 
But what you might not have realized, and this is just um, your church equipping you for what is to come, is that he just let Jesus have a sin nature. And by his dismissive attitude of the virgin birth, he's teaching that Jesus was never conceived by God. He's teaching that this is a fairy tale, some just a strange mystic thing that you've believed by tradition. He's saying that, that it's silly to believe that God was conceived by God, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. If the, if the professor teaches this in this way, in a deceptive way, what really will enter into your heart and you'll walk away from is this attitude where Jesus isn't God because he's not from God. And if he isn't God, and if he's not from God, then he's not qualified to be God, not qualified to pay for our sins, not qualified and able to save. He might even say, sure, Jesus is a good guy, great teacher, lived a great life, influenced a lot of people, but he's not the spotless lamb that you need for your sacrifice for sin. And he's not the Savior. Now, he might not specifically say those words, but as he smiles and, and acts casually about the virgin birth, that is the teaching that you are receiving. And hey, if you get that professor, it's okay. Like, don't worry about it. Stand strong. Uh, call your mom and dad. Call me. I'd love to talk with you and go through things over the phone. And we'll tell you this. We'll tell you that you can't take one word in one place and crush a whole faith. The word Alma occurs nine times in the Old Testament. And whenever and wherever the context makes it meaning clear, the word refers to virgin. More importantly, uh, when the Septuagint was written, which is uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament all in one language, all in Greek. So they, they translated the, the Hebrew into Greek and then they kept the, the New Testament. Then those people, the early Jewish translators, took the word virgin from Matthew one twenty three, and they identified it in Isaiah 7. And they said, these are the same things. Every time we see this word, it is referring to virgin. We understand it to mean virgin. And so they used it. Everyone agrees that this Greek word parthenos means virgin. And not just young woman. So why is this important? Again, you, you might have just already heard this, but I want to reiterate. Why would it be important that God the Father would choose specifically, in a particular way, to send His Son through the conception of a Holy Spirit and live inside a virgin's womb? Why would He do that? Why would He choose a particular way to satisfy His wrath and be able to pay for the sins of the world? 
Another way to say it, why must Christ be conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin? Because in order for Jesus to be a perfect sacrifice, He not only needed to live a perfect sinless life, but He also needed to avoid original sin altogether. If you come from an earthly father and an earthly mother, which the last time I checked, 100% of you do, and did, you received a sin nature. Where did that come from? Where did your sin nature come from? Let's do just a quick Bible overview. Let's start with Adam. So after, an, after Adam and Eve took of the fruit, sin entered the world. Um, these little blue Puritan primers, they would say, whenever Adam sinned, we all fell. So all of humanity, all of creation fell as a result of this one act of sin. Afterwards, there was judgment. Uh, they were covered. And then Jesus, uh, God gave this announcement about someone to come. Um, he said that there will be enmity between the man and the woman. He was talking to the snake, which is the serpent, uh, which, is, uh, which is Satan. And he said that one day there will be a person that will come. And he will be so strong and so powerful that he will crush the head of the serpent. But it will hurt him so bad that when he is crushing, it will bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15, right? Theologians call this the proto-evangelion. Proto-first. Evangelion, evangelism. This is the first announcement in our Bible that there's good news to come. That one day there will be a head crusher. And we're going to wait for him to come. And until then, we're going to follow God's rules and systems until we, we, we receive complete and altogether forgiveness when that one comes to crush and end sin. Abraham believed in that. He believed in the head crusher, the promised one that would come. So much so that when God promised him in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and 22, that he would, that he would bless Abraham through his line and that all nations would receive this blessing. When Abraham was told, Hey, go on up that mountain with your son and sacrifice him. Abraham looked at the men that he was with and, and he said, you know what? Hey, I'm leaving now. I'm going to go with my son. And both me and him will return, even if God calls me to sacrifice him. And so they go on up the hill, and God says, I want you to, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son. And because he believed him so much, he was willing to put his own son to death, and he believed that he would even rise again based off of the truth that he told the men, we will come back. And so he took out his knife. And Isaac said, I see the wood. I see the altar made. Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God himself will provide that lamb. He took out his knife. And, and, and the angel of the Lord stopped him and said, All right, hold up, hold 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 up. You believe me. And I'm going to bless you for that. And it came down. But before then, a ram was provided and he sacrificed the ram. 
That's what's been happening ever since. And people long for it and look for it. Moses believed in it. Moses, as he was, as he was guiding his people away from the promised land, he told Pharaoh, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no way, Jose. And he said, you know what? God's going to send ten plagues. After the ninth one, he came to Pharaoh and he said, this one's the last one. The angel of death is going to come and he's going to kill all the firstborn people of Egypt. Pharaoh's heart was hard. Moses gave God's people the guidance. He said, I want you to kill a, a spotless lamb and take, take, take a branch and dip it in the blood of the lamb and cover your doorposts so that the angel of death would know that he's supposed to pass over your home and that he wouldn't kill the firstborn. That night, many people from Egypt experienced great loss as they didn't believe God. They didn't, they didn't have the doorpost covered, and therefore they lost their firstborn. But God's people, if they believed in the lamb, the covering of the blood over them, they were saved. Later, David believed in the same thing. He believed and waited for the experience of immediate forgiveness. He wanted it. He longed for it. After he sinned with Bathsheba, Psalm 51.7, he, he asked the Lord, he says, Purge me with, and he uses this strange, um, strange term. He says, purge me with hyssop. And you're like, what? Why hyssop? And that's the same branch that was used to dip the blood of the lamb and to, as, as the people of God painted their doorposts. He says, I want that. Dip hyssop in blood and cover me. I'm waiting for the head crusher to come. John the Baptist. In his adult age. This is after he first experienced the head crusher from womb to womb. If you remember that. He was in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth drew near to Mary. And John the Baptist was so excited to just be near the Messiah. This is one of the mysteries of Christmas. Is that he leapt in his mother's womb. Isn't that beautiful? But in his adult life, he saw Jesus coming. And, and he proclaimed from his very heart. It just overflowed from his mouth. He identified Jesus, not as just a man, but he said, behold, there's the what? There's the Lamb of God. And he takes away the sins of the world. This is our God. This is the story of the Scriptures. This is the Christmas story. All the way from the garden, all the way through Abraham and Moses and David, John the Baptist, all the way to Christ. Jesus had to be born of God to be fully God. And He had to be born of a woman to satisfy and to be fully man and satisfy the wrath of God and to pay for the sins of the world. So what's the big deal? Is that, just, um, is that just a nice church thing to say? Um, will you leave here and go, oh, I'm, I'm so glad that um, our church is getting it right theologically, which is a good thing. But I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that when it comes to Bible trivia time that I'll get the right answers. What is the big deal about the truth 
of Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary for you this Christmas? That's the question. Two things to leave you with today. Number one, forgiveness of sins. You need to know that this actually works. All these pieces that we've just talked about, they all fit together. You need to know that God is trustworthy, that Christ is reliable. And if you come to him, the God-man, who's fully God and fully man, if you come to him, he will provide the forgiveness of sins 100%, full stop, mic drop. That's his character. That's who he is. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says that he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have, catch this, redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's a beautiful truth. In order to experience the forgiveness of sins for the first time, and some of you might not have ever heard this before, for the first time, you need to come to him by faith and repentance. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You turn away from your sins. And if you do that, the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you do this, that God will change you from the inside out. He'll grant you eternal life and give you the Holy Spirit. And you can live forever with him. This changes everything. It's not just the nicety or fire insurance so that you don't go to hell one day. This changes your whole life and your life there on after. It grants you peace, which is one of the chief marks of a Christian because they know where they're going when they die. If you haven't experienced the forgiveness of sins for the first time, I would invite you to do so. But also to the believer what a treasure that you hold to be able to experience peace with God and pure fellowship with on a consistent basis. If you were to ask yourself, hey, have I taken advantage of being in right relationship with God this week? It'd be a good question for you. One of, one of the ways you can do that is 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So a good question that would surface from this doctrine, from the virgin birth, would be this. Hey, have I, have I confessed my sins this week and experienced the joy of being in fellowship with God? If you haven't, we're going to give you the chance um, right before communion to do that. So the first one is forgiveness of sins. The second one, and this is our last one, is this. This is what surfaces when we talk about the virgin birth and Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit is that he's qualified to be a friend with you. This is not just some distant doctrine that we put in the old dusty historical books. That Jesus, as a result, can be your friend. Let me read to you Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. If you're looking for a verse to memorize this week or grow in or learn more about Jesus, um, this would be a great one to love and cherish him this Christmas season. Let me read it for you. It says this, 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, and catch this, yet without sin. There it is. Not just a life without sin, but born out of and away from and didn't experience the, the plague, the curse of original sin. So 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friend, if you, if you need a friend, if you're, if you're longing for the presence of Christ in your life, Number one, you got to ask for forgiveness of sins. But two, to realize his nearness is here. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And you can have a friend in the Lord. And my friends, this is the Christmas miracle. Let's pray. And then let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so, Lord, we love you. We confess that oftentimes we let um, this truth of the virgin birth just slip right on by us. We run to movies, we run to cookies, we run to presents, and we forget to run to you. And so, Lord, I pray as a result of this morning that your people would cherish your son, Jesus, that they would glory in the work of Christ being conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Would you work in each of these persons' lives? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know that if you have, um, if you've become a Christian, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we want to welcome you to the Lord's table. Uh, Jesus, um, the night before he he gave his life for the bride of Christ, brought his disciples in, um, brought them around a the table, and they had a meal together. And he and he took out bread and he took out wine. And he, and, he, and he used it as a teaching illustration. And he, and he broke the bread in half and he said, this is like my body. My body tomorrow is going to break for you. They didn't know all the details, but they knew this as truth. And we know now that when he died on the cross, he was broken for us. That he gave of his very body so that we might experience the forgiveness of sins. And he looked at his disciples also, and he said, this is, this is my very blood. And if you drink this and eat this, I want you to do it in a, in a manner like this. I want you to remember me. Not just as an afterthought, but I want your whole affections, your mind, your heart to be focused on me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to know me in a deep and personal way. Later in the New Testament, we get instructions that we're to uh, let our lives be examined by the Holy Spirit. And so we ask at this church that if, if you don't know the Lord, that you would allow the bread and the cup to pass, that you wouldn't participate in, the, in communion so as to respect God's word and to honor him himself. And so now is your time. Now is your time to commune 
with God and to, with each other, come to Him and say, Lord, forgive me of my, my sins. And Lord, I delight in You. Would You help me now walk a pure life according to Your will?